Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Praise God. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We're continuing our series by faith. And if you've been here for any amount of time through this series, we continue to go back through everything starts and is maintained by faith alone in Christ. And so as you remember, this is the Apostle Paul wrote this letter in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Galatia. And so today we're going to be starting off in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Robe of Royalty. Robe of Royalty. And I was just reminded as I was thinking through this time together, man, as a kid, we didn't have much money. And so my mom did what she could do, and, you know, they were just worked hard in a very cost, uh, costly area. And uh, so the clothes that I desired, I always didn't have. Does that make sense? Anybody ever been there as a kid? Like, everybody really has these, you go to school and they have all these clothes. And I don't know if you know this about public schools, and uh, they really value what you wear and really tell you when you don't wear certain things and we can't afford certain things. And so my mom did what she could do, and so I would have the, uh, the Fadidas. You might wear the, the Fadidas, the fake Adidas, you know, the, the four-stripers instead of the three-stripers. You know what I'm talking about? And man, one day I wanted those three-stripe Adidas, right? Because they were it. And praise God, now I can afford three stripers. You know, I'm rolling in the rolling in the dough. But man, like clothing mattered a lot. Not so much anymore. Now I dress up for my wife, praise God, and she usually uh, picks out my attire. So if you don't like what I wear, you can blame her. But man, the Bible talks about clothing, but in a different way, and that's what we're going to dig into this morning. What are you clothed in or robed in? This brings us to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says this, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so a little context, we're going to take a break just real quick before we continue on. It's interesting, he's drawn some parallels. In the first century, when a boy reached maturity, and that time frame was established by the father, they would celebrate that. Kind of a toga party of sorts, right? Uh, probably not what you're imagining, uh, but nonetheless, similar. See, the boy would exchange his toga from the one that only children wore to a toga Virilis, meaning robe of a man. And so he would go from having no rights and no privileges as a citizen to now into manhood who would grant him citizen rights. Well, what's interesting about this ceremony and celebration that they would have, that this was an external sign of an inward reality, an inward change that had already happened. Paul is pointing a parallel that is yet more profound than that. In verse 27, you saw it. For those of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus, you have been clothed with Christ. And so there's a parallel there that he's drawn. One, this baptism is specifically talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to dig into that. But there's also another baptism that we talk about as well. So believers should experience 
do and should experience two baptisms. All believers do experience baptism by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 13, says it like this. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. But then verse 14, so you see the Holy Spirit seals you at the moment you believe, when you hear the gospel and you believe it, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. But then verse 14 goes on to say this. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And this reminds me, so some of you may remember this, layaway. Remember layaway? Is that a thing anymore? I don't think it is, right? Man, my mom used to lay away some things. So those of you who don't know what it is, if you don't have enough money to buy something back in the day, the store would set it aside, and you would make payments until you could finally pay it off and get that something the store set aside for you. It's interesting, think about that concept, but in a much better way, it's an already not yet. And so a very real way, if you're in Christ Jesus, by faith alone, you have come to him for forgiveness of sins and life with him, you are sealed right now. Right now, at this very moment. But it hasn't been realized yet until he brings fully and finally you to him. So right now it's effective, but you're sealed and kept until that day when we're face-to-face with him. That won't change. So we're going to better lay away. But it's already not yet. And this is what he's pointing to here, that you're baptized, sealed in the Holy Spirit. And when God, by faith, has placed you in his family as his child... And continues to feel the promise he made to Abraham. This keep, Galatians, if you've seen it, continues to point back to the promise. You see the initial promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, make it the father of many nations. In Genesis 15, he clarifies again. Abraham says, God, I have no kids. I'm childless. What does that mean? He says, your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's interesting. How would he do that? It's obviously impossible until you figure out how God did that through Abraham. You see, God, through Abraham's lineage, would bring the Savior of the world, Christ Jesus, who then would bring all who would believe to himself, establishing this faith family that we know of as Christianity, as faithful followers of Christ, like Christ. I was talking to our, our new resident here at the Way Church this past week, and we're going to pray for him before we close today. But he's reminding me that as you look in the skies and you see the stars, because of Christ, you're part of that family. You are a star in the family of God. Now, I don't know what stardom that you're pursuing, but it's not as good as that, I promise. A child of God. And so we see that at the Holy Spirit, he seals you, baptizes you, places you in the family of God. So the baptism's role, or the Holy Spirit's role is both a sealing baptizing in him, and also a gifting. And this is where I think we miss it sometimes, that God gifts you. And so there's some theology that's gone a little far on this and saying that everyone has a certain gift, specifically speaking in tongues, it's evidence of your salvation. That's not true, but every person has been given a gift. And some of you may be gifted to speak in tongues. And here's a, just a clarification. This church's theology is that this church is charismatic. Do you know that? We used to have a seatbelt the Bible, right? Just do. There's gifts that still are exercised, but we exercise them as the Bible would have us to exercise them. 
I get this question a lot. And so it's specifically tongues. There's a lot of confusion about speaking in tongues. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just bear with me for a second. But it's a gift in, in the Bible. But there's some ways to use it and ways you don't. But the Holy Spirit does give every believer giftings that are to be used and developed. 1 Peter 4.10 says it like this. Just as each one of us has received a gift, speaking of the spiritual gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. And so here's the deal. We're called to serve. God has actually gifted us to serve. And maybe you don't know what your, serv- your serving gifting is. Start doing something. Man, for the longest time, I didn't know. So I just did something. I could pick things up and put them down. That's about what I knew I could do. But I came to see that my, one of my gifts was actually service. Like I enjoyed serving. I wasn't good at anything, but I could do some stuff. So I did that stuff. So maybe that you're more like me. You don't know what to do. I can do something. Do something. That's good stewards of the gifting that God's given you. And so here, it's, it's, it's clearly talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yet, that happens to all believers. But there's a second baptism. Baptism by water. And this is what all believers should if they can. It's not required for salvation. Meaning, it's not required. You don't have to do this to be able to be forgiven and to be able to be placed as a child of God. God did that. We don't baptize people. God baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. Yet, we are called to be baptized. And this is like the ceremony of the exchanging of the robes. Symbolized symbolism, right? An external sign of what already happened on the inside, from a boy to a man, from a non-Christian to a Christian, from dead to alive. That's what baptism symbolizes in the same way as the toga party. That kind of makes sense. We track in there a little bit. So baptism does nothing for eternal significance for you as far as placement in God, yet we're called to do it. And the question is, why then? Because this is what I get probably the most questions about, then why would I do it? Well, like a good parent, when I... Kids may ask me why. I said, because I told you so. Right? Sound parenting advice. I said it. Just do it. Because God said so. It's an obedience thing. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go, make disciples, and baptize. That means be disciples, make disciples, baptize, and be baptized, and keep doing that. And then you see the disciples actually did this thing. I'm going to run through this. But it's noteworthy. You see Philip in Acts 8. And it always comes after faith. Baptism always, always comes after faith. Ethiopian eunuch believes, says, where's the water? Philip baptizes him. In Acts 9, Ananias baptizes Saul, the persecutor of the church, now who we know as the apostle Paul. In Acts 10, Peter baptizes a Roman soldier. His family and friends follow in belief. In Acts 16, Paul baptizes Lydia and some of her family after belief. In Acts 16, also Paul baptizes a Philippian jailer and some of his family members after belief. In Acts 19, Paul baptizes some disciples, some followers that were baptized under John the Baptist, and they were baptized. And just for clarification... You know, we always have to like, clarify what we believe. We usually say baptism by, submit, by submersion, right? It's funny because the word in the Bible, baptism, means to submerse or immerse. So that's why we sum- submerse. So really we're saying we submerse by submersion. That's what we do, right? That's what we're called to do. Why? Because Jesus told us to. 
You know, we, I think about it sometimes. Like, if we have these conversations, if you could have, like, lunch with anybody throughout history, who would it be, dead or alive? be kind of creepy if they're dead, but whatever that looks like. Who would that be? I think for me it might be Charles Spurgeon. Kind of a nerd like that, I guess. But called the Prince of Preachers, just a man who loved the Lord and wanting others to be following Jesus as Lord. But he's pretty blunt sometimes. He says this regarding what we just walked through for, for as water baptism. He says this. He says, someone says, I can be saved without being baptized. So will you do nothing that Christ commands? If you can be saved without doing it? And he says this, you're hardly worth saving at all. I didn't say it, he did. Goes on. He says, a man whose idea of religion is that he will do what is essential to his own salvation only cares to save his own skin. Clearly, you are no servant of Christ. Baptism, if not necessary to your salvation, is essential to your obedience in Christ. Saying it another quite nicer way, Pastor Mark Dever says it like this. He says, getting wet is the easiest command God gave us, Jesus gave us to follow. It only gets harder from there. But this is baptism. God baptized by the Holy Spirit. We, our obedience, are baptized and baptized. But it matters a whole lot. And what this is, is a picture of being clothed with Christ. Meaning you have a new identity and a new commonality. Being clothed with Christ. But have you new, new identity? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us like this. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he has new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new has come. You have a new identity. He has made you new. That stuff that you used to be involved with, that person that used to be, is no longer that person. You are now dead to the old self and alive in Christ Jesus. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Every time we have a baptism, we say buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. So that means we have a new identity clothed with Christ, but it brings a new commonality amongst all who follow Jesus. That commonality is Christ himself. We have the most important thing in common, Jesus. There was a common saying back in the first century among Jewish men. Going like this, it says, I thank God that you didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The point is, God has rescued each of us who were dead in our sins and trespasses and made us alive in Christ by the goodness of his grace as a demonstration of his love. And so when we see this, we see equalness. Despite who you are, despite your economic standing, despite any of those things, we're equal in God's sight, yet we're not the same. And this is incredibly important. As our culture continues to push back on this concept, equal of worth, equal of value, not the same. Equalness does not equate to sameness. We have distinctions. We have distinctions in spiritual gifts. We have distinctions in roles and responsibilities. We have distinctions in men with men and women. There's distinctions. But in Christ, we have equality and unity. And what we see over and over, I'm sure you've experienced this, the vertical relationship that we have directly impacts any horizontal relationship that we have. Human distinctions lose their significance as we elevate Jesus over elevating ourselves. 
We have a new identity and new commonality. And it all revolves around Christ. And so how can we be unified when the culture is so divided? Because of Christ. When we start having divisions, we need to come back to Christ and work our way out from that. Christ is a unifying factor in our church and in our families. So we pursue Christ. And what he's going to get at here in Galatians 4, again, this whole concept is by faith, but he's going to up it a little bit. By faith, you're chosen as a child of God, therefore you've been declared as an heir. Look at verse 1. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave though he is owner of everything. Instead, he is under the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive, receive, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And again, going back to our toga party reference earlier, before a child was recognized as a man having the civil rights and authorities, he didn't differ anyway from a slave as far as function, still under someone else's authority. But once that boy became a man, again, as a time set by his father, he was given a new robe and granted citizenship rights and privileges to practice. Again, Paul is here saying in the same way, exactly the right time as set by the father, God sent the son who stepped into human history to redeem humanity from sin's separation, bringing all who would believe from slaves to sons at exactly the right time. And I, hear, well, I think we need to just hear this. God's timing is always perfect. Always. I'm just going to start here. When Jesus stepped into the world, I mean, God knows more than we do, but what we can see, there's a few things that we can see how God's timing was perfect just from our own frail understanding. One, at that time, the Roman oppression was so severe, it brought a great anticipation for the Messiah's salvation. They were always looking forward. It was always the come, come, Messiah. Come, save your people. Come. And when the oppression ramped up, it was even greater. Please come. So the anticipation was elevated. Even then, number two, the Roman Empire had just conquered a wide wide area, basically the whole known world. But what that brought was an element of peace to where travel was made more accessible and easier than previous eras eras that would have made it impossible because of conflicts, which accelerated the advancement of the gospel. In a similar way, way as the Roman Empire had conquered, Greece had conquered culturally. And so the Greek language had become the common trade language throughout most of the regions, which again, there's a common language made the advancement of the gospel accelerate. And so just from the outside looking in, not being God, from best as we can understand, we can see just already how God's timing was perfect, and even in those simple ways. But it begs the question, what are you waiting for? 
So I, just, I know how this life thing works. And there's times that you just need God to move. You need God to work. You've been praying and praying and waiting and waiting and waiting is the hardest part. But do you trust in the Lord? Because his timing is perfect. It says that we were redeemed at the right time. Paying the predetermined price to buy slave to make him free. And the Bible clearly shows that we have all been enslaved to sin. I think we have a hard time with that. Like, no, I'm good. I got this thing nailed down. Let me ask you this. Like, how long can you go in keeping your own standards, your own expectations? I think about my own family. It's so funny growing up. It's funny now. It probably wasn't so funny then. I grew up in a family of smokers and swear word slingers. You know what I'm talking about? That was my family. But they would go on these kicks every once in a while. All right, we need to stop smoking. And so they'd break out the hard candies and be chewing hard candies to death, you know. We'd have all these hard candy bowls and all around the house trying to replacement. That would last a little while until they got tired of hard candies and go back to smoking. Or the coin jar, the money jar, when you told a swear word. Anybody do that? You have a little jar until, you know, you can't pay your bills anymore because all your money is in the jar. Well, that didn't work. The whole thing is trying to be Better than batter. But we all do this at some level, right? Like, I need a diet. I know I need a diet, and it goes really great for a little while until dieting's hard, right? Or I need to exercise until exercise is hard. Or I need to be angry less. I need to be more kind. I need to watch my lust. I need to fight my addictions. Like, there's only a certain amount of time to realize, man, I failed again, and I failed again. In other words, we've all been sin's slave, if we're honest with ourselves. And oftentimes, we operate like we are going to fix this ourselves, robed in rags of our own goodness. Isaiah 64 says it like this, all of us have become like something unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. That's us when we're trying to do enough of ourselves, trying to be good enough, trying to clean ourselves up. The point is we can't. We need someone to clean us, to forgive us, to save us, to reach in and bring us out of the muck and mire of our own sinfulness. Galatians 1 says simply, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us. We were in need of a rescuer to redeem us. What we see here is by faith. That's why we get the whole series by faith. By faith, Christ Jesus has brought you from the pit to the palace as an heir to the king. And this is what I want to just drill down on for a mix. I think we missed this. We sung it, but I think we still miss it. Heirs to the king. At the right time, the king stepped off his throne and entered into humanity. That is Jesus. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Speaking about himself and what was happening. And he says, repent and believe the good news, the gospel. And here we are. Churches around the world today are celebrating, recognizing Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday right? 
going into Holy Week as we look forward to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. On Palm Sunday, John 12 says it like this in verse 13. It says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. The crowds flocked as Jesus came into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And they kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They knew exactly who Jesus claimed to be and watched the things he did, measured up with the Old Testament. This, this must be him. While looking at their own desperation, they said, King Jesus. But here's something you can take to, to Monday morning with you. People are people. Do you guys know that? Here's what I mean. We mess up. People around you mess up. And it is no, so much in our face when we looked at the last week of Jesus' life. Because it went from this day saying, King, save us. To rejecting him as a criminal on the cross within a week. The king would go to the cross so that all who would repent and believe would be redeemed, bought and brought out of slavery. He had to do that. But all who would believe, bringing them from a slave to a son, from a jail cell to a castle, traded our robes of rags for robes of royalty. It's been called the great exchange. The great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. He made the one who did not know sin, sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Given robes of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So by his poverty, you might become rich. And this is not talking about finances. This is talking about the richness of enjoying God's presence. Robed in royalty, robed in righteousness, robed in riches because of who Christ Jesus is and what he did for you and me. The question is how? How do we have that? How can I get that? Because I've seen I'm a sinner and need a Savior. I know I'm unrighteous if I'm ungodly, if I'm true with myself and I'm ungodly in all these different ways. How? We saw it last week, a couple weeks ago, Galatians 1.26. For through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Faith. By faith. Jesus did what we could not. And notice it says sons over and over again. Sons, sons, sons. Do you guys see that? This is not sexism like I've heard it called. This is significance. And not sameness. Significance, meaning all who come to Christ Jesus are treated as sons, being the firstborn son would have more of the inheritance, more responsibilities, more authority within the family. Yet all men, women, slave, free, all who come to Christ Jesus have that standing in Christ Jesus. Man, I think we can miss the value of that. In a day and age, that first century, when women were definitely oppressed, and you heard the Jewish phrase like, thank God he didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Say, no, everyone who's in Christ Jesus has that status and standing, that of a firstborn son. I'm talking about radical. 
I wish we could let that sink in more. The king himself made you an heir. And though Jesus was pinned to a tree and placed in a tomb for our transgressions, though Jesus was dead, dead, what Nebu might have said and what we're going to celebrate next week, Jesus didn't stay dead. That's good news. Jesus didn't stay dead. Only person ever. After his resurrection, maybe you may know this, he walked the earth for another 40 days. You find it in Acts chapter 1. 40 days. Spending time with his disciples, still teaching, eating fish, breakfasts. It's crazy. 40 days. Appearing before a crowd of over 500 at one point. 40 days. Until when? Do you remember what happens next after the 40-day mark? Because he's not here anymore, is he? We know he's still alive. Where is he? In Acts 1, verse 9, it says he ascended. Man, we miss this sometimes. I'm thankful for our resident to remind me this week, right? He ascended. And right now, seated at the right hand of God. This is what Acts 1.9 says. It says, after he had said this, and after he said this, it's like the disciples came to him like, are you establishing your kingdom now, king? He says, wait. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Acts 1.9 says this. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And verse 11 says, he went into heaven. As the crowd was watching, he David blamed all the way up in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you can look it up. And this is what Hebrews 12 says about Jesus. He says, For the joy that was laid before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand meaning all authority, all power was in the right hand. So right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning, actively exercising his supremacy. Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21 says it like this. It says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. And it says, far above, okay, not just a little bit above, just in case we're unclear about this, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every title given. So think about that. Any supervisor you may have, any difficulty you have, any government system, the title president isn't the highest title in the United States. Far above. It says not only in this age, but also the one to come. You know what that means? Forever. Yesterday, today, always, Jesus is reigning as king supreme. So this means so much if we can really start grasping this concept and this truth that we know that Jesus is ruling and reigning now and exercising his supremacy. I want to break down three amazing points that the Bible continues to show us, because I think we can miss. Three quickly. Number one, God's supremacy. God's supremacy. We need to start there. Psalm 93 verse 1 says it like this. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. 
The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. This is God. Supreme. Always has been, always will be. He is God. But it's amazing because here we're recognizing Palm Sunday when they said, King, save us. And we're in this already not yet time frame where we are saved and are waiting for salvation to fully arrive in the day that fully and finally everything will be made new and God will wipe every tear away from our eyes. It just hasn't come yet, but it will. And that day, Jesus will return. And it's not like the lamb that he came, meek and mild. It's a roaring lion executing judgment and justice because he's just holy and righteous and it says this in romans 19 verse 6 and he being jesus has a name written on his robe and on his thigh i'll tat it up love it king of kings lord of lords this is jesus right now was is and to come king of kings lord of lords and this radically changes how we view our relationship i was thinking about this like we so much Treat Jesus our little pocket buddy, our little sidekick, co-pilot. Listen, he is driving the car, piloting the plane, and we are bowing in submission to him as a king. Yet, we have this intimacy. That's the truth number two. So we have God's supremacy. Amazing truth number two is our intimacy. And this is what Galatians 4, 6 points at. And because you are sons, God set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So the king of the universe, yet we can approach him as daddy. That's what that's saying. And I love being a father because I see this concept played out all the time. Because my kids, my little guys run to me all the time. Daddy, daddy. When they're hurt, daddy. When they're happy, daddy. And this is the relationship that we can have because of Christ with God right now. The ruler, supreme king, and also our daddy. Which brings our amazing truth number three. Those two things should equal living boldly. God's supremacy, our intimacy, living boldly. And I was thinking about this. As a kid on the playground, boys, I think we did this a lot. Smaller kid. We start comparing our dads, right? Oh, our dad, my dad could do this. All my dad could beat up your dad. What are you talking about? My dad, right? And as we have these conversations, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, Dude, I know my dad could be up your dad. I've seen your dad with a fanny pack and socks and sandals. Dude, my, no offense if you do those things. Just stop. My dad, my dad was big, and he was tough. He was raised to be tough. He's that dude all tatted out in the Hells Angels scene, if you know that, in Southern California. My dad was tough. And so, like, I knew my dad would whip your dad's. Why don't you talk to me? It was crazy. Like, me and my dad would go some sketchy places. He would bring me some sketchy places. But I never was scared. Never feared to even cross my mind because I was with my dad. I was fearless because of my dad. Which brings 2 Timothy 1.7 into light in a very real way. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but want a power, love, and sound judgment. So know one that fear is a spirit, and it's not from God. If it's not from God, it's from the enemy. But he has given us a spirit of fear because of who he is, because who my dad is. I mean, I was watching the, the game last night, and I know you guys don't watch sports because we do this all the time, so I was watching college basketball. 
I'm not going to ask you all because you guys just stare at me like I'm crazy. College basketball. And last night, San Diego State was playing Florida Atlantic. And I'm, I'm an underdog guy. I was rooting for Florida Atlantic, number nine versus number five. And so Florida Atlantic goes down, dribbles down. They were ahead by one already. They missed a shot. Now they got five seconds left to get to the other court. The coach doesn't call a timeout. Usually call a timeout, get the perfect game plan together. He didn't call a timeout. And so San Diego State grabs the ball, runs down. The dude shoots it at the buzzer and makes it and wins by one. It was amazing, if you care for any school. It was fun just watching it. But what I like is that the coach immediately after. Coach, why didn't you call a timeout? Like, what play did they know to call? He says, I, I was out of place. I love this. I was out of place, so I just trusted the team to go down and win the game. And I was just thinking about that. Like, we, I wonder if we get to the point to where, like, God, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I'm out of ideas. I'm out of plays. I need you. But here's the point. I think God lets us and allows us to get to that point so we realize we do need him. We desperately need him. And he is deliverer. He is king. He is ruler. And all things are subject under his feet right now. And so he is the one we come, come to to win the game, whatever that looks like. Under his timing, we trust in his purposes. Our faith is in him, not in us. Rachel and I, last year, went to California for our cooperations uh, church convention. And we took a, went down a day early and walking along to California Pier just for some sightseeing. And they had this, they were out fishing, all these fishermen, and there was this five-foot-tall, had to have been, pelican. Just huge. And because all the fishermen there, the fishermen were hooking him up with some fish. And so he's hanging out. But the crowd was just, like, avoiding that thing, like, as far as they can get away from this pelican, because he looks intimidating. The crazy thing is, you know what that pelican can do to you? Nothing. Nothing. He has no teeth. Got some wings, right? Might flap you a little bit. Like, he could do nothing to you. But it's amazing. Isn't that how we go through life sometimes? Always scared of something that can do nothing to us. When we have God on our side, Daddy. Like, have you seen my dad? Right? When your fear comes, have you seen my dad? I think we need to remind ourselves, have you seen my dad? Because I trust in him. I can go in some sketchy areas, because have you seen my dad? I think about this. This is why so many missionaries go to heavily persecuted, hard places, because have you seen my dad? What can you do to me? Yeah, you might about take this life. This life is a small fraction of what you created me for, eternally with you forever and ever in your presence. Have you seen my dad? I think this is what we need to approach life as. We are heirs of the king. If we forget that, we bow to him and worship him as king, and we enjoy the presence as daddy. And if we got that concept, it will radically change your Monday. I promise you. Because it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what people say to you, people, what people do to you. If you get outcasted because you're standing in God's word versus what the cultural pushes, it doesn't matter because of who your dad is. This makes all the difference. And if Christians can start learning this, it'll radically change our culture. You want to start reaching the West End for God's glory and for others' good? Start living like you have a dad as king over all things. It changes everything. What am I fearful about? What am I worried about? What am I anxious about? I know we still struggle with those things, but you take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
At the moment you believe and receive Christ Jesus, what he did for you, when he said it is finished on the cross, meaning your sins, past, present, and future were paid for if you surrender yourself to him. He paid your debt that you couldn't pay, bought you out of slavery that we were into sin, baptized by the Holy Spirit, sealing you and placing you in his family as a child of the king. It comes by belief. That's it. At that moment, giving kingdom privileges and power to practice. To which Ephesians chapter 4 gives us version of what a spiritual toga party would look like. Like what we talked about. Ephesians 4.22 says, Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and impurity and in truth. We take off the person we used to be and surrender by faith and put on the newness we have in Christ Jesus and walk in it, robed in royalty, robed in righteousness, robed in his riches, because he is king and he has chosen and called you as heir. And live in that. There's a reason why I won't go back to what I used to mess around with before Christ. That garbage and that just dumb things I would do. It disgusts me now. Those same things I used to enjoy and think were cool, I hate now. Because the closer I get with Christ, I love him and I have passion about him more than I do those things that displease him. That is what it means to be followers of Jesus and bow to the king and enjoying the relationship that we have with him as daddy. Because I desire to please him because I love him because I've been transformed by his love for me. Do you have that? Like, do you have that personally? Because this is the response that I'm going to plead that you make this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit asking him to work in you that you finally see your need for Jesus. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been going to church. We can be deceived that we've been doing right things and know some stuff that we're right with God, and it's a deception from hell. Because that's what happened in Palm Sunday. All these people are saying, yes, Jesus, I want you, but wasn't I want you? I want the, what you can do for me. There's a difference. Do you want what he can do for you, or do you want him? That's the difference between continuing the path of death, separating sin, or life in Christ Jesus. Do you know just some stuff about him, or do you know him? We say all the time, it has to transfer from your head to your heart. It doesn't matter if you go to church. doesn't even matter. Man, if you serve the way kids ministry, because that is the holiest spot in the whole church that you serve in, still it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a hill of beans for your eternity. It's an outcome from your love for Christ. Do you have that? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to respond in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team back up, and we're going we're to sing another worship song because that's a right response for who God is to sing praises to him because he is worthy. But before they sing, we're just going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life at this very moment. Now, the first time, you th- finally realize I've been going through these religious routines, but I've been missing the intimacy with Christ the King. I'm going to encourage you to s- make that commitment now, to finally surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He said all who would come to him will be forgiven and saved from their sins and trespasses. That means no matter what you've done, you have never outsinned God's grace. Never, ever, ever, ever. And so if that's you, while we pray, it's not a magic prayer you say. God already knows, but it is seeing your sin and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I see that I need you, and I'm giving my life to you from now on. 
That somehow, some way, your blood spilled on the cross counted for me. And by my faith alone, you have placed me in your family. I want that. May for others that you've just been over, overcome, consumed with fear, anxiety, stress. Maybe now start fighting back. So many times we're on defensive when it comes to this thing called life. Let's start being on the offensive. Have you seen my dad? Have you seen my dad? Rest in knowing who and whose you are because you're a child of the king. I'm going to pray for us. And however God's leading you, I want you to respond to what he's doing in your life. And as we sing even, man, many of us will sing and praise because he's worthy and that's our response to him. Many of us maybe need to just sit and pray and do business with what God's doing in your heart. We'll have a prayer team to the side. We would love to pray with you, pray for you. You're not alone in this faith journey, nor were you meant to be. You respond to what God's doing in your life during this time. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful for who you are. How amazing it is that the king stepped out of heaven to save all who would come to him from our sin, our struggles. Father, you have made us new in you. You have lived a life that you have called us to, but we couldn't. You have died the death that we deserved so we wouldn't have to. Paying the price for our sins so that by faith we can come to you and enjoy the relationship that we were created to have with you in the first place. So right now I just ask that you move your Holy Spirit in this place. Remove any hardness or anxieties or fears and help us just to rest in you and come to you laying our sin at your feet knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because you paid the price for all of it. Lord, and if we have failed to walk in the newness of life that you've given us, help us to do that by the strength of your Holy Spirit, starting right now. Lord, help us to just be refreshed and restored by your presence and your goodness and your grace because you are a good Father. Help us just to rest in that relationship and enjoy the relationship. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit moving in this place. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We pray all this in the name that's above every other name that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.